WBCA Radio is proud to present City Talk, where fascinating conversation is alive and well, with your host, Boston Radio veteran, Ken Meyer. Hello again, everybody. Welcome to another edition of City Talk. And we're discussing something that, unfortunately, is still occurring in this country, that problem of the battered wife. And uh, I might say that we were able to set up this interview with the help of my wife uh, when she met Sarah Tuttle in Seattle, Washington, a couple of weeks ago. And uh, Sarah, I, I really appreciate you taking some time out to discuss a topic that I guess is never going to go away. Right. Well, thank you for inviting me today. All right. So let's, let's go back. Uh, are you from Seattle originally? I'm actually from Oregon, but I've been in Seattle so long that I'm now a native. <laughs> All right. Tell me about, about growing up and, and, and what eventually uh, led to your marriage. Take your time. Right. I had um, actually a wonderful childhood, um, loving parents. Um, grew up in Oregon. I moved up to Washington to attend college, and I met my husband there, and I just ended up staying in the Seattle area to be with him. And so that's how I landed here. All right. Uh, tell me what, what, what you were both doing to, uh, to uh, make the money, as it were, at the time. Well, we both had jobs. Um, my husband has had a plethora of jobs from truck driving to roofing, and I've always worked more in social services and with people. And my husband's actually from Minnesota, but he had grew up with a lot of um, trauma and alcohol and drug abuse and really needed to leave that lifestyle. And that's what brought him to Washington. And so mm -hmm. we met probably a year after he had moved out here. And All right. yeah. Go ahead. Go ahead. <laughs> and it was a whirlwind romance for sure. Um, and we married pretty quickly. And the reality was that even though my childhood, I grew up with loving parents and family, I also experienced um, abuse and trauma. And I carried the baggage of that into my marriage. And my husband, like I said, he grew up in abuse and dealing with alcoholism and drugs. And he brought that into our marriage. And so we brought abuse into our marriage. And we didn't know how to navigate relationship. We didn't know how to get our needs met. We didn't know a whole lot of healthy. And then we added four kids on top of that. Boom, boom, boom. And it was just a hot mess. So um, we realized that we needed to reset that we couldn't continue the way we were because we loved our kids honestly that was most of our motivation for change was our children and we decided that we needed to separate and try to find health and happiness apart from one another and so that's what we did and we were able to break those patterns of abuse and develop healthy individual lifestyles and then we were able to come back and reconcile, which is very rare, but that is our story. And that was through the support of family and friends. We had housing, we had jobs, we had access to domestic violence trained counseling and programs. We had access to everything we needed. 
And so we were able to learn new patterns of behavior and give our marriage another try. And we have a life today that we absolutely love. We never could have thought possible. And yet here we are. Let's go back a little bit. I, I'm sure. always interested in, in, was it your, your dad that, that was the abuser in your, in your family? And how can you say that and still say you had a wonderful childhood? Well, because abuse doesn't happen every day of every moment of every day. It runs in a cycle. And so even those that are trapped in, you know, really rough abuse, there are moments of peace. There are moments where things are okay. And I know my parents loved me fiercely. They provided a wonderful education for me and experiences, but they had issues in their own past. And my mom had some mental health issues and anger was her outlet. Um, and my dad, who I love dearly, um, kind of would look the other way. So That's it was, it, it was your mom that, that was the abuser in your case. Yes. What, what would, it's funny. I'm reading a book by a, a former ball player for the Minnesota twins. As a matter of fact, okay. Rod Carew, if hmm. you know that name. Mm -hmm. And, and, he had abuse in, in his life from his dad. Okay. And, and um, what, what would trigger some of these things for you or your mom? Yeah, well, a lot of it was um, back then there weren't a lot of, there wasn't a lot of discussion about mental health issues. And so she didn't get the help that I think she needed. And she battled depression and she battled her own demons. And if you don't learn how to handle those in healthy, productive ways and work towards healing, that comes out often in abuse, unfortunately. Now, I, I only have one case study to fall back on as, mm -hmm. as far as a battered wife is concerned. And that turned into a rather celebrated case mm -hmm. uh, called The Burning Bed, right. which eventually led to a, a movie, uh, right. made-for-TV movie, on NBC with Farrah Fawcett. Yes. Now, when you met your husband and before you got married, did you notice any signs of, of, of physical abuse before your marriage? Right. And when I'm talking about abuse, abuse is, yes, it's physical. Um, it can be sexual abuse, but it's also psychological abuse, financial abuse, spiritual abuse. Abuse is a large... Um, there's a lot that it encapsulates. And definitely before my husband and I got married, we both demonstrated abusive tendencies towards one another. Uh, again, it's what we knew. We didn't know any different and new ways to treat people. Um, and, you know, my husband grew up in a really tough, tough situation. And we brought that stuff into our marriage. Um, what would cause, like, uh, there's a, there's a story in the, a couple of stories that I can recall from the, the burning bed incident. One was, uh, Francine Hughes' husband was upset because she admired uh, a young boy who had rather large hands. Mm -hmm. Um, wh what were some of the things that, that happened 
with you that that triggered some abuse right well abuse is triggered by um feeling that you don't have power or control and feeling that that's the only way that life is going to be okay and so really anything can trigger abuse anytime an abuser is feeling out of control feeling like their needs aren't being met um, feeling threatened um, and threatened can just be the house is not cleaned up right so there's lots of things that can trigger abuse um, what i'm most excited to share about is actually how my husband and i our experience and all the support and love and what we were able to accomplish and change in our life really gave us a heart for those trapped in domestic violence who are completely alone don't have support don't have money and how in the world are they to break the cycle and break free and build new lives and so that is what led us to start the nonprofit and that's lighthouse northwest and that's where we get to help families uh, mainly women and children that are coming out of abuse and give them time and space to rebuild their lives so our sad story there i mean you can there's some horror stories in a lot of people's lives but what i'm most excited to share about is what is possible for those that are given a chance and given the support necessary to build a new life how much if any have laws changed uh, like there's a there's a again an incident where um she uh, francine hughes called the police and the police came to the house and said we can't do anything unless we actually see your husband abusing you right how has that changed since then i believe it's changed a lot um definitely if someone's called and there's been abuse most most likely someone's getting arrested now there is a shifting happening so i'm not i'm just learning about the changes that are happening in washington and i believe are happening in other states where um there's going to be it's going to look different and i'm not exactly sure what that is yet i think we're all kind of waiting to find out but i know the role of police officers is changing um talk about when and, and how you got started and and how you managed to get clients to come to you right well that's not hard because in reality one in three women experience domestic abuse and one in seven men so one in three and one in seven and that's regardless of socioeconomic status race gender so that's one in three and one in seven in your workplace in your neighborhood in your gym in your place of worship and so the reality is that there are more clients than we could ever house and care for and that's an unfortunate reality and one in 15 children witness firsthand domestic violence that's one in 15 and what we know is that those that as children witness domestic violence they're twice as likely to become abusers or victims of abuse so do you see how this just perpetuates itself without intervention right mm -hmm. right now, and go ahead go ahead so we really looked around um, and thought what would it take what did it take for us to find freedom and what would it take to help people that don't have all of the support and help that we did and that's where we created 
the transitional housing program. And that's mm -hmm. where we're able to house women and children coming out of domestic violence for up to two years. And we provide safe housing and a supportive community where they get treated with love and grace and dignity and they have guidance and accountability. And what's beautiful is when they graduate, they have created a new sustainable life that they love. They're not just surviving, Ken, they're thriving. And that's our hope and prayer for every family we work with. And we've never had to publicize. Um, it's word of mouth and we get phone calls every single day. I could fill a house every week with people that need help. That's, that's still, I, I, I can't believe that, that that kind of thing. Like I said to you once before, I must be very naive because I, I just can't believe that that is still going on in this country. It and, is. and I un understand that one of the problems is that uh, whoever the abuser is leaves the abused to think that it's, it's their fault that, Absolutely. that this happened. Right. And that's part of the cycle of abuse. There's shaming and blaming. And there's so much mental manipulation that the victim is can be left very confused about what's real and what's not. That's something we have to work hard at during the time that women and kids are with us in the transitional housing program of teaching them to trust their instincts, to trust their voice, to trust their thoughts again. Um, because so much is robbed and taken from them while they're living in abuse. You must have celebrated cases that you can look back on and mm -hmm. talk about of accomplishments. Absolutely. Um, can, you, can you take some time and do that? I can. You know, that's, that's the part I'm most excited to share. I mean, the horror stories are terrible, but there's hope. And we get to witness this hope coming to life every single day and it's challenging and it's messy but it's completely possible for families that are given a chance and um, coming up in October we have our annual celebrate the journey event and that's where we highlight one of our program graduate stories and people get to hear and experience what this family went through to find freedom and new life and so that's coming up in October, but we have lots of graduates that have done the impossible and the remarkable. And it starts with a phone call and it starts with giving them safe housing and hope. And that's really where it begins. And women come to us with no money, usually no education, very little um, material items and a lot of brokenness and confusion and fear. And we have a care team that just wraps their arms around them to restore that hope and provide healing and equipping them and empowering them to live a new life. So while they're with us, they are working through support group, counseling, mentoring, parent coaching, um, connecting to um, training and education. We begin to invite the women to dream again. What is it they'd want to do in life? What career would be satisfying to them and provide for their family? And as they dream, hope's restored. And as they accomplish their goals of going to school, of paying off debt, of building up savings, they really begin to believe that they can live an independent life that they love. 
And um, we've had people come to us that have been in abuse since childhood, just horrific things that we just can't believe anyone would ever perpetrate on another person. And yet they come and they live with us. And a lot of them describe it as like a full life immersion where they're learning to live and think in a new, healthy, loving way because of the people that are surrounding them. And they learn and practice new skills and they're equipped to identify what abuse looks like, what they know what it feels like, and they're equipped to know what is healthy, loving relationship feel and look like so that when they transition to permanent housing, they aren't going to fall for any traps again, right? They're not going to miss the cues of abuse or potential abuse. And it's exciting to watch them begin to regain power and control over their own lives. Are you able to set up like a, a, a school program or help pay for a, a tuition to help further their education? Right. So we partner with the state um, here in Washington. The state has amazing programs that will cover education and training. And so we don't try to do it all ourselves. We work really hard to connect the women and children to their community so that they become um, no longer isolated as they were in abuse, but they're a part of what's happening in the world around them. And so we work with local um, healthcare facilities, uh, chiropractic clinics, uh, karate places, yoga, gyms, churches, as well as the state, which helps us with education and training. Tell me about the size of your staff, if you can, and, and some of their background that right. they did before they came to you and, and how, they, how they came to you or what you were able to do to help them become members of your staff. Right. Well, like I said, this was really birthed out of my own life experience. And so my initial staff back in 2013 um, was made up of a woman that really mentored me through the process of healing and um, learning what healthy looks and feel healthy relationships look and feel like she joined me and then there were other people from other nonprofits doing similar work that came alongside me to really help lay the solid foundation and right now we have a staff we have a life coach and she came to us through a mutual acquaintance and she also has experienced trauma in her past and she walks beside the women to help them learn how to budget how to handle their finances how to um, acquire the life skills really necessary to thrive in life and then we have an advocate and she is another woman that walked through pretty horrific abuse and um, was able to successfully flee from her abuser and build a new life and she walks beside the women helping them navigate the court system the state systems making sure that they have all the resources that they need as well as helping them um, navigate some of the healing process. We also have a mentor on staff and she is a beautiful woman who I met years and years ago, but I didn't know her story until uh, we launched Lighthouse. But she reached out to me to share that her background was abuse back in the time when there wasn't a lot of help or services, but she, she successfully 
left her abuser and built a new life on her own. And she wanted to be a part of this. So she walks beside the women and mentors them in a sort of a pseudo mother relationship. And she prays for them. She meets with them. They work through um, their stories together, their past to reclaim it and find healing. And she's someone that's been there, done that, and they can look to her as um, the goal of what they're moving towards. Um, we also have a program manager on staff, and she coordinates all of the care of the staff team and um, really works to partner with local businesses and organizations, again, so that the women are not solely um, only connected to Lighthouse. We're helping them build a life outside of Lighthouse, so connecting to them. So that's our staff for the Transitional Housing Program, and they are remarkable, resilient, loving, um, talented people. Is anybody an attorney on your staff? No, but we sure utilize, uh, we utilize a local nonprofit that has attorneys that um, specifically work with those coming out of domestic violence. Do you ever get calls from people that want to come and see you, but they're afraid to leave their home situation? Absolutely. We get calls every day and they're women that we work with that aren't residents in our transitional housing program, but they need to know what are the resources out there, what are the steps, and what's the process, and who can help them. And so we walk along a lot of those we call non-residents and help them in their journey, even though we can't house them. So how do you, how do you get them to, to, how do you convince them that, look, it's not your fault, you can leave, and nothing is going to happen to you? Well, that's kind of true, but actually leaving is the most dangerous thing for the woman to do. And of course, that's what we want for every woman. But when you leave an abuser, the abuser's behavior escalates to often a life-threatening level. So leaving is tricky. Um, it, statistics tell us it takes a woman about seven times to successfully break free. You think about it. If you are looking at homelessness and you have children, you have no job, money, items to provide for your family, that's a scary scenario. And sometimes you don't have a vehicle or a license. Um, oftentimes financial abuses happen and your credit is destroyed by your abuser. There are so many obstacles to leaving, but when they call and reach out to us, our job is to build relationship with them and to be someone that they can share everything with, they can begin to trust, and we're, we're with it, we are with them through the long haul. That when they're ready, when they're ready to make that very scary step to leave, which is huge, um, we'll be there for them. Just out of curiosity, and I, I can't, uh, this is, a, to me, this is a fascinating, fascinating topic, but right. has there ever been a situation where uh, the abused show or the abuser shows up and finds out where their wife is? Not in our program, but that does happen for sure. Um, for our program, we make sure that they are at a safety level that they can participate without fear of being found. Um, our homes are confidential, but we also partner with other nonprofits that 
actually focus more in on that initial time when a woman leaves and it's called a shelter. So shelter is, um, it's not the program, but it's a safe place for a, a woman and their children to land and it's completely safeguarded and confidential so that they cannot be found there. Um, that's usually the first step and we work with other organizations on that. We're the step after that where a family's ready to begin the healing and rebuilding process and that's where we step in. All right, this started eight years ago. Has the abuse rate increased or decreased since then? The statistics I have continued to look at have not changed. But what I know is we're committed to breaking the cycle of abuse one relationship at a time, and we're seeing that happen. So our personal statistics for our organization, we see change. Because what we believe and what we see happening is if we can help one family learn to build a new healthy life and relationships, it doesn't end with them. It gets passed through their children. It gets passed on to their extended family and friends. And we, our graduates will call us and say, oh my gosh, I just taught someone how to budget for the first time. You know, they're <laughs> sharing their skill set with those in their sphere of influence. And that's how we believe we're going to break the cycle. Ultimately, it can't just be us. It's got to be the multiplication process. How big, uh, how many people are in your, in your housing program right now as far right. as victims are concerned? So the survivors are one transitional home. We only house three families at a time. So there's three families. And what's happened is we've developed this program We've developed the nonprofit for a solid foundation, and we are now beginning to replicate, which means we're opening more homes. And our goal is to open homes throughout South King County and then spread to other states, because we really believe that change is possible and new life is possible, again, if the families are given a chance. I know that, like, I mean, this is way off the topic, but That's I know okay. that there, there, are, there are families that will, will take in guide dogs, for example, and help mm. train them. Uh, right. They're foster homes. Are there, are there families that do the same thing for domestic violence cases? Yes, we, I've housed people. Um, I know a lot of people that have. Here's the tricky thing though, Ken. Domestic violence is a learned pattern of behavior and there's a lot of nuances to it. And if you aren't trained um, to understand it and to know what's safe and what isn't, unfortunately, you can make some missteps that create more harm for the families. And, you know, that was some of my husband's in my experience. We had a local church that loved us, but they were very uneducated about domestic abuse and what that looked like and what help really looked like. And they loved us, but didn't know how to really, what to do with us. So it caused um, the harm to continue much longer than it probably needed to. So our heart is really to educate. We have another program, an awareness and action program, and that's where we work with organizations and businesses and the community to really help people understand the realities of domestic violence and then encourage them to connect those that they know to professionals like Lighthouse and other organizations. Um, there's only 1% of people that are experiencing domestic violence reach out to professional organizations for help. 
1% can. Isn't that wild? Who do you think yeah, they can that, reach out to? That, that doesn't seem, that figure just, it's mind boggling. It is. So who do you think they reach out to though? Uh, I have no idea. I, 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 I would think maybe a relative or, yes. or, or a neighbor. Yes, or... their friends and their family. That's who they reach out to first. And so what we do is we work to get into neighborhoods, into the friends and families, to educate them, to help them connect those people to organizations like Lighthouse that can really come alongside and help. It's like um, if you have appendicitis, you go to a doctor for help, right? Not a friend <laughs> or a family member. <laughs> yeah, right. Someone experiencing domestic violence, you've got to go to trained counseling, trained staff to really be able to help you in a way that you're safe. Do you, do you go out and speak to, to various organizations? And if yes. so, what are, what are they? Yeah, we've spoken at schools. We've spoken at churches at local businesses, chiropractic clinics. Um, we've spoken at um, MOPS, Mothers of Preschoolers groups. Any group that invites us, we are there. Now, when you say schools, youngsters? Yes. In, in classes? Yeah, and, what and kind teenagers. Of, and what kind of questions do they ask you? Well, so think about um, if you're working with youngsters, you're wanting to equip them to know what it looks like to be in healthy relationship, right? Right. So that's our heart with younger kids is to equip them to be resilient, to own their life, to know that they have power and control over themselves and what unhealthy looks like and that that's what they want to stay away from. So anytime we're talking to younger kids, we're really equipping them to be confident in themselves, to develop resilience skills, and be able to identify what healthy feels and looks like and what unhealthy feels and looks like. Do you use, do you use any kind of film at all or slides on any, any presentation? Absolutely. Yeah, lots of visuals and... Um, uh, interactive experiences. We actually, if you go onto our website, lighthousenw.org, last year we created an interactive experience right on our website that takes you through just what it kind of looks like for a woman trying to break free. Do you do any I, webinars by any chance? Um, well, I encourage you to join us virtually on October 24th. Uh, the information will be up on our website soon. And that's where we are going to take people through an experience of one of our graduates' story from living in terror of domestic violence to now having a new thriving life she absolutely loves. And so that would be an amazing way to really begin to understand what it takes to break the cycle of abuse and what it looks like to find freedom. Is it is it discouraging? I mean, whenever you whenever you go out and do this stuff, do you ever think to yourself, my God, will this ever end? Right. And so the only way I handle that is in our mission statement, we say that we're committed to breaking the cycle of abuse one relationship at a time. And Ken, that's all I can focus on. I look at one <laughs> relationship 
and the next one and the next one and the next one because it's too much. It's too overwhelming when I look beyond that. Does the oh, have any plans of branching out beyond the Northwest? We do. So we're in the phase right now of replication. And so we just have hired some more staff so that we can begin to raise the funds necessary to open up more homes. And our heart is to expand as far and wide as we possibly can. But if these people come to you with no money, right. how, do you, how do you get, I mean, do you ask for contributions when you go out, oh, and, yeah. speak, go out and speak? We, we raise an amazing amount of money in order to help the women. And we have such faithful and generous donors that provide, whether it's um, they need diapers or they need shampoo or they need um, gas for their car. We have people that give um, as much as and beyond what they can. And then we have people that financially contribute every month. And that's how we keep our doors open. Are there, are there other websites um, that you know of? that you would like to give to our audience? Right, again, if you go to our website at lighthousenw.org, we have a page that's resources, and that links to a lot of um, different organizations that come alongside people dealing with domestic violence as well. Northwest Family Life is a local organization that we, we just think is wonderful. That's one that's on our website. There's quite a few on there. Mm-hmm. How about, do you, do you ever get any police officers to come and speak? Um, so we haven't, but we partner with the police for sure. And they know, they know what our home is and that we're here and what we're doing. And they're definitely grateful for the work that we do. Well, I, uh, I enjoyed this very much. This is in one way, it's a rather sobering topic. Yes. But in another way, it, it is also a, a revealing topic. Hmm. So before we decide to end this wonderful conversation, is there anything that you would like to take time and say to our audience? I would just invite the audience to really um, take in the statistics of the one in three women and one in seven men and one in 15 children and realize that this is um, going on around them, whether they see it or not. Abuse really thrives in secrecy. And the way we uncover it is through relationship. So building trusting relationships with our neighbors and our friends and our extended families, that's when people are safe enough to open up what's happening in their life and they feel safe um, to reveal the real ugliness that might be happening. And that's the point where whoever you are, if someone's telling you things that sound like abuse, that's when you can connect them to the state and national resources so that they get professional help and guidance and are given an opportunity to build a new life and to be safe. All right, give, give your website one more plug. Why not? Our website is lighthousenw.org, lighthousenw.org. All right, Sarah, thank you so much for taking some time out uh, to come on the air and and talk with us. You have a remarkable story, and you are a remarkable woman, 
And uh, I admire you and commend you for your work. And uh, I hope some of the, one, of the, one of these days you're going to come up to Boston. I sure, I'm planning on it, and I would love to meet you face-to-face. -face. Thank you, Ken, for your interest and your care. I appreciate it. And that will do it for another edition of City Talk. Thanks for listening to another great conversation with Ken Meyer and friends. You can contact Ken by email. The address is kjmeyer7 at gmail.com. That's kjmeyer7 at gmail.com. Tune in next time for more conversation with Ken Meyer on City Talk.